This podcast is brought to you by the website of doom.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of Aaron Fever Talks 2. Uh, it's easy to remember which episode number it is when you do this on a monthly basis. But next year is going to be a little bit more difficult. We round out the year by talking to Marion Call, a great musician who has been a real inspiration as far as work ethic and uh, just hustle goes. She's She's been uh, very innovative in, in the ways that she's managed to organize uh, tours and stuff, and I've always been very fascinated by that. So we talk a little bit about that in this episode, and uh, we talk a little bit about kind of different types of audiences, and uh, we talk about like kind of living online uh, as a career, and uh, so it's a little bit of a backstagey kind of things and uh, I know Marion gets a little bit embarrassed about that at one point but uh, I'm fascinated by it and uh, I hope you will be too I hope you will go to patreon.com forward slash Aaron Fever that's where uh, other people have gone and who are wonderful and absolutely fantastic and have donated to my Patreon account and that money it it does innumerable things but uh, one of the main things it does is allows me to pay for podcasting hosting fees which is the whole reason why you're able to even listen to this podcast right now because it's the end of the year I'm going to do something that I don't normally do which is give a shout out to some of those people because uh, they deserve it frankly and um, I'm very grateful to them so very quickly I'll say a big thank you to Alma Amanda uh, Abby Colin Scott Will Kevin Shannon uh, Patrick, Jeremy, um, that's not even everybody, but that's a bunch of names I just saw very quickly. Uh, also, Widget, uh, who, who, who knows, I may even talk to you on this podcast at some point or another. But all those people have supported me throughout the year. And needless to say, uh, even though I'm going to say it anyway, uh, it's been very, very, very much appreciated. Okay, I'm going to get into it now. That's enough of the preamble. I always do too much. Uh, but thank you very much for listening. Uh, it's been a fun first year. I'm looking forward to next year. Uh, so please enjoy my conversation with Marion Call. Well, oh, good morning. Good or morning. Good evening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's eight p.m. here, but um, I, the way I've been sleeping lately, it might as well be like lunchtime. To be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, that's about the schedule I run on too. I have to, um, next month I'm doing a little artist in the schools program here in Juneau and, uh, they've hired me to come in at seven thirty in the morning, Eesh. uh, three days a week. And I'm trying to explain to them that this is like coming in at 2am for them. You know, it's just, yeah. <laughs> they're not quite comprehending. Um, you may as well just stay up and just go in at like the end of your night, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> seven thirty is very early. I hope school doesn't start at that time. Oh, it does. Yeah. They're, I mean, the high schoolers start even, I think, at 6.50 or something. It's like, it's a terrible idea. I think they do it so that they can get the elementary schoolers done about the same time parents are getting off work or just a little before to cause them extra anxiety. I don't know. Hold on. Now, I'm, <laughs> I am entirely confused by this because this sounds so, wait, if they're in at like 7.30, um, they finish at what, like one? No, two, probably two or three, I think. Okay, but they uh, the the smaller kids I think go in later. The smaller kids are like eight thirty or nine, and the high schoolers are the ones that they get super super early. I think it's because they want to tire them out and not let them be out late, uh, you know, causing trouble. Although I'm not really sure that works. I think they just come in exhausted <laughs> after yeah. you know long nights of staying up late discussing comic books and uh, and you know things that you do in extremely rainy cold places. There's not as much opportunity for mischief here as there would be somewhere warm. <laughs> No, I imagine maybe starting fires to keep warm, but that's about it. 
Yeah, it's so wet here. It wouldn't hardly matter. <laughs> it's, I live in the rainforest of the world. It just it it rains like three hundred days a year, I think. And uh, yeah, it's pretty spectacular. You yeah, you're kind of in the middle of nowhere, right? Uh, it depends how you define nowhere. I'm in a quite a big. I, I feel like I'm in quite a substantial city, and that I have a downtown. I don't have a car. I sort of walk to everything. Okay. There's events I'm going to every night, concerts and things like that. And uh, but at the same time, there's only thirty five thousand people here. It's just a very, very active community. Okay. And um, I don't know why I had an impression have... you were more you were more isolated. Be- and I think I'm blaming. This oh, you know, it's almost... because we we don't have a road. We can't. You can't drive here. That's why. Ah, okay. <laughs> you have yeah. to take a plane. But we have or boat. But the boat takes three days from Seattle, and uh, the plane takes only like about two hours. So it's about like going to Portland, really. Um, from Seattle. It's a very short trip, but uh, luckily we're so busy, even though there's so few of us, that there are like five or six flights south per day and five or six flights north per day, all on jets, you know, so I can I can get in and out anytime I want. I can even choose, you know, morning, noon, and night and well, and, fly anywhere and, in the world, and that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, you you get out a lot. You're, you're quite possibly <laughs> the busiest woman I know. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm slowing it down now. I'm getting, getting a uh, this is my 10-year anniversary of being a wandering musician, and wow. so I'm uh, trying to celebrate by occasionally spending two or three weeks at a go in my home. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just now, being luxurious now. I know, now that I have one. It's very nice, actually. You know, Did you know that there's these, uh, in your kitchen, there's a thing called a cutting board, and there's knives, and you can make food from scratch, from, from, from vegetables and things. You take them and, out of the uh, tinfoil uh, You don't have barges. to tip anyone at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, it's... It's amazing. I love cooking and I never get to do it on the road. And so it's been very nice being home. I made some nice, I made a venison chili last week. Uh, I made Mm -hmm. a sweet potato stew right before that. And it's been, yeah, it's been fun. I've never had venison. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. You must come over. Well, I actually, I kind of feel weird about it because it's this, um, because I'm not, I'm not a vegetarian or anything, although I am, uh, my girlfriend is a vegan, so I get guilted a lot. But, oh, dear. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but it's, um, there's a few animals that I just, I haven't eaten and I don't have the urge because I think they're too pretty. Oh, um, yes. There's a prettiness factor. Yeah. I feel weird about eating a deer. They're just so nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I got, I, I, I come about it the opposite way. I'm not a vegetarian, but I'm a, what some of my friends have called Alaskatarian in that if I'll eat it if it was wild. Uh, I mean, I do make occasional exceptions. I'm not, I'm not perfectly strictly observant, but uh, uh, so I'll, I'll eat uh, fish and I'll eat um, uh, like I'll eat venison or bison or uh, anything that was basically shot wild because then it got to live the normal life that an animal lives before it dies. Because I don't feel particularly sorry for animals who turn into food because that's what every animal does in the wild. They they get eaten alive. That's the end of every animal. So I don't feel yeah. too bad for them if they're reared in comfort with lots of food and then dispatched it's more of an environmental concern and and health concern really so but yeah so our literally uh my partner's dad brought in a corner of like a quarter of venison on the back of a guy's truck and just dumped it with us it's like here you go we don't know how to clean a deer (laughs) we're just going what it's really messy (laughs) and we're like uh but it does make you appreciate the uh, appreciate the meat more. We did not get to see it when it was pretty. Unfortunately, we just saw uh, it when it was a mess. Okay. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's unrecognizable at that point. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's there's a lot less doe eyes going on. Um, the thing is, as well, one of the reasons why I kind of thought you were so isolated too is because it, the the amount of bear tweets 
um, <laughs> that I've come across <laughs> over the years. Like I always just we felt have like a lot you're... of bear friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but they're everywhere. Bears are in all, I think, 49 states have bears, uh, technically speaking. They're all over the place. They're just um, private. And we happen to live in their neighborhood. They don't live in ours. Yeah. and they, it's, they, like, it's like we moved into their foyer. <laughs> they seem to be quite happy to, to call over, uh, to your place at least. Well, we have all the delicious garbage. We have venison <laughs> leavings in our trash. Of course they want to come over. Yeah, right? <laughs> Yeah, we have we have we have encounters pretty regularly. Right now, they're asleep happily, or they should be. Um, but we uh, are we live right in the middle of downtown. We're like a block from the governor's mansion, about three blocks from the Capitol, a uh, block or two from the state museum and the the art center and the gym and every, you know it's just really close to everything. It's nice, all the all the good restaurants. Um, but on in our backyard, we literally abut up against a steep mountain. It's a lot like Skyrim. Have you played Skyrim? Yes, I live yeah. in Skyrim. <laughs> um, and, and so you you walk up out the backyard and you're in the woods and you can clamber over everything and you can run into bears and that's that's just where I that's where I live and sometimes they come visit us because we have cupcakes and gelato we had a bear come raid a yogurt shop and he got in trouble um, <laughs> just right downtown. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the, I think yeah. the closest we have to that is a lot of heroin addicts here in Dublin. So I don't know if it's, it's quite oh, as quite as magical. Too, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of those as well. You didn't grow up in uh, Alaska, though, did you? <laughs> I did not grow up in Alaska. I moved here from uh, the Seattle area. I lived kind of out in, it actually looks a lot like Western Ireland. Um, I, I grew up in uh, the sort of really twisty part of Puget Sound, about an hour away from Seattle. Okay. We took the ferry a lot to get back and forth. And um, it was, God, it was just beautiful and pastoral, but also somewhat economically repressed and maybe a little socially repressed too. And um, <laughs> it, sounds like it was it, like amazing scenery and, and very buttoned down people. Uh, but uh, I, I always planned to stay there. Actually, I loved the Northwest and then, but then I went Northwestier and it turns yeah. out it just got better. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how long have you been out there now? Uh, this is my 13th year in Alaska, although it's okay. my four, four and a half, fifth year in Juneau. Um, so there hasn't been a big... I lived in I lived in Anchorage before this, which is a lot colder. Juneau is just like slightly colder than Seattle or Portland, not a lot. And Anchorage is, is genuinely pretty cold, although not as much as the American Midwest. So people always think that I'm colder than them. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm quite, I'm, I'm a lot warmer here, okay. unless you're in Florida. I'm, you know, we're fine. Is it snowing there at the moment? <laughs> Oh, it's snowy, and it's maybe it's maybe 15 degrees and sunny. It's beautiful today. The ravens are outside making some noise. We might hear them. Okay. But uh, what is 15 degrees? What is that? It's about negative eight, negative nine. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, that's pretty cold. <laughs> um, it's about it's about five here at the moment, uh, Celsius. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're, it's, oh yeah. It's beautiful and frosty. Has been for days. I love it. It's when it melts that it gets gross. I like it when it doesn't melt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so you've you've been in Alaska for close to the amount of time that you've been a musician full time. Oh, longer actually. I became a musician full time because I moved to Alaska. So I've been. This is my tenth year doing music, and I moved to Alaska in two thousand three. So thirteenth year in Alaska. I didn't. I actually moved to Alaska in part because I was giving up on the music thing. You know. Okay. Uh, which was funny. I got my degree in music in college. I wanted to score films, perhaps, or maybe write choral music. Wow. And, uh, of course, I didn't realize when I went to college uh, what a nice long line of people there would be standing out back waiting to pay me to do that. 
uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, not lucrative career. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. Te- I did television and film in college as well, so I know all about that kind of uh, young, uh, naive look in the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. What I, I wish people had told me earlier on, though, that there's lots of jobs besides just being the main honcho. You know, there's all sorts of smaller peripheral jobs that are equally satisfying and sometimes less dramatic. Uh, as in less drama that are that are great sort of surrounding the industry like working in if I had gotten a music engineering degree holy cow I could be making so much it'd be great yeah. and I, I would be better at setting up this little microphone situation <laughs> I have here on my desk uh but uh, yeah, I realized I couldn't really do that. I was not at all interested in doing pop music because at the time it was still record label land, you know. Right. And Napster had also just come up, so I thought, well, there's no way to make money in music ever again because Napster's here. All the music pirates, and I was very sad. I remember having tears about it one night in college. Just oh, people are just giving music away for free. Oh God, oh God. <laughs> and um, of course, I didn't realize that was the beginning and not the end. I didn't know how sexy and wonderful music pirates are. And uh, I moved up to Alaska, and then uh, social media occurred. It dropped on all of our heads, and I realized that maybe there was a way I could do pop music without having to deal with record labels, without worrying about... I, I don't know, there were, there were avenues opening up to do it just on your own. Mm. MySpace being the primary one back then, MySpace sort of accidentally created this amazing music discovery engine. That's not what they meant to do, but they did. Yeah, and every other social media engine has completely failed at that. Uh, but um, yeah, they, they were the last kind of bastion. I mean, maybe YouTube has become the new avenue for that now, but that's not probably. really a social media network. It's not so. It's not, not quite really. The same. Yeah, yeah. It's not like there was something amazing about. I, I I almost wish YouTube would allow you to just have your own. This is my page profile that you could land on for someone as opposed to a channel, mm. because it would be amazing if all if if me and all my fans had a little page that was like you know this is me and here's what I like not just what I do you know that'd be so fun, and you know I, I remember how obnoxious it was to go to MySpace and land on someone else's page and have their song start playing and you were like oh god, <laughs> except that about fifty percent of the time it was a song I'd never heard and I really liked like I found so much music that way. Pardon me. Yeah, it was it was actually for a short while I did a uh, just to tell you how long I've been writing stuff online, but I, I did a a, a, mus- <laughs> a musical MySpace tour, um, which is the name of a column I did for a while, and, and because it was ah. so it was so frequent to get like sent a a friend request and in a ma- in a message from a band, it's like hey check out our new album, like you know I think you'll think you'll <laughs> like us. Uh, so uh-huh. I I used to use the use that as my method of like choosing what bands to review. Is basically if they sent me a spam message that month, they were going to get put into the column in a review. Um, and oh, would, that could be painful. Oh, <laughs> oh man. It, it often was. <laughs> oh god, uh, that's why I never do cold calls. I'm pretty sure that that would inspire the kind of <laughs> negativity I would not want to see in a review if I just you know chase down a chase down a critic. Oh. Yeah, but I suppose it was before people really had uh, easy access to advertising that, uh, online because now it's very easy to set up, like, you know, with Facebook, like, ads and stuff like that, although that Facebook in itself is a whole... They don't really work, No, though. they're terrible. I, I, like, I've done that. I think I think the, the thing that's changed the most in the new era, uh, I don't know how interesting this is uh, for anyone else, but I'm fascinated with this stuff, mm. uh, is that, like, like cold-calling advertising is so ineffective on me and on other people i think compared to 
word of mouth. And uh, even the most effective advertising now on Facebook is pretending to be word of mouth, you know, using your friends or using your own internet browsing history to show you things that they already know you're interested in, Yeah. in a way that a friend might do with, um, with, uh, 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 I don't know, like if, if a friend send, gives me a CD and says, listen to this band, I'm going to listen to the band. Uh, or sends me a YouTube video. And if I see an ad on Facebook, I am never, ever, ever going to click on that ad on Facebook for a band I never heard of. I don't care how well their algorithm thinks they know what right. I want to hear. But if your friend posts But if your friend posts a video of like, hey, this band is like really cool, you'll yeah, check it and out. So, and, and the advertising that's successful right now is the advertising that's trying to mimic that. Although I very I have like a really strong little rebellious muscle against robots and algorithms that try and tell me what I like and don't like and uh, uh, just and advertising in general plus I paid for Facebook advertising a couple times and they overcharged me and they didn't serve it to the right people and they yeah <laughs> yeah no I, I only paid for Facebook advertising once on a project I was doing and it like it got me likes but it got me likes from people who clearly weren't looking at the thing <laughs> yeah and I can't get I can't seem to get Facebook, no matter what I do, if I wanted to send, I have about 14,000 people who have liked my page, right? And I'm assuming maybe two thirds of those are actual fans. I can't do anything. There's nothing I can do on Facebook to get a message to all of those people, you know, and it will serve to like half of those people and half random strangers who are friends of theirs, which is not what I want. So, so I'm just back to relying on word of mouth and trying to trying to be interesting enough. You know, that's that's always the goal is trying to be interesting enough that people will talk about you spontaneously or, you know, or be excited about you on your own. And if you're not doing that, then you've got to work harder. That's, yeah, that's what I'm telling myself right now as I'm trying to finish up a big, scary, scary, scary record that I hope will I, I hope will be that interesting. But you're always sort of terrified that it might not be. Yeah, because this will be the first um, studio album you've done in quite some time now. The last one was, was it 2013 or 2012? I think, yeah, 2012 probably it was released. The um, Yeah, they, t- they take a long time for me. Some people can just knock them out, you know, especially if they have an existing band. For me, it takes a long time. I go over every note and every beat and every every little, you know, lick on the guitar. I... I I really personally kind of supervise and manipulate all of those. And time in the studio is so much more expensive than time, you know, for me sitting at home working on it that I do a lot of it in post. So so it takes a while. Um, I've only just been home to, you know, sit and work on it for a few weeks and been making good progress since then. But it's, yeah, it's a very slow process for me. So, but this one's a big one. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm scared. I'm excited. You were recording some of it in uh, in Texas, right? <laughs> yeah, I recorded in Texas and Seattle and here and a little bit in New York. And it's it's cheaper for me to go to my musicians than it is for me to bring them to Juno. Um, so I just kind of go where they are. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and Texas is a great place too because I, if you're in Austin, uh, like I was for several months the last two years. Uh, you can just say, oh, what if we put a trumpet player on this? Let's call someone up by the end of the week. And you can get them. Or even, like, let's get a saw player or an accordionist, and, and you can get those people, you know, instantly, because it's a music town. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I've mm-hmm. be, I've a few friends who live there, and I've I've been a, a number of times now. And um, there's always something on each night as well. So it's a, it's a great place to kind of just take in some stuff too, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's a great place for tacos. All the tacos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine Alaska being a great taco place. 
We have great tacos. What are you talking about? Is there is there a large Mexican community in Alaska? Halibut tacos. Yes, there is. And an even larger Filipino community in this town. But uh, Anchorage, Alaska, where I used to live, uh, actually has two or three of the most diverse neighborhoods in the entire United States. Wow. There's there's a hundred languages spoken in their school district, which provides uh, work for a lot of translators. There's we have a lot of refugee communities, and we have immigrants from all over Asia, uh, especially kind of the you know Ring of Fire net, uh, area. We just have people from everywhere, so the international food's great. Um, we're more limited by fresh ingredients than by. Uh, sort of ethnic expertise as far as food is concerned. There's okay. like uh, it can be hard to get good basil or lemongrass because we're way up here. Uh, but uh, yeah, oh my god, the pho is amazing. The uh, we have some we have decent Mexican food, although it's hard to get good fresh peppers, which I think is is a little difficult. We have a little taco place down the street here. They have fresh halibut tacos and shrimp tacos and king crab, and those are all from right here. So that's really great. A king crab uh, taco. That's kind of fascinating. Oh, to me. it's good. It's real good. <laughs> real good <laughs> alright well seems as we're talking a little bit about like uh, ethnicities and, and different places of the world uh, I really want to talk to you about your European tour that you organized because yeah <laughs> I have I have to be honest it was it was one of the most impressive uh, I was going to say self-published cause it's, but it's not self-published but like self-produced projects I've ever seen <laughs> Because the, it was crazy. It, it was, was so crazy. Absolutely uh, nuts. So it the, was nuts. It was we. Well, I wanted to get to Europe because I had fans who'd been waiting there to see me for like eight years, and patiently, you know, mm. politely, and uh, but they there weren't enough fans there to fund a trip, right? Yeah. So, uh, and I, you have to. There's this sort of awful paradox where you have to go and play in a place to get fans. But you have to have fans to be able to go play in a place. And uh, that's the farther you go, the more that's true. So um, I decided to kickstart it, and I decided to kind of gamify it. And we invented a crazy system whereby if you, if you backed the Kickstarter, depending on what level you backed, you could, get, uh, you could get little coins which acted as votes. So even if you're in the U.S., where most of my fans are, you could kind of vote as on where I go, you know. And I would I limited the options to places I was willing to go, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> it was oh my god, it was insane. We the Kickstarter did so well that I actually got sent to too many places. I wound up getting sent to some places where I barely had any fans, just because people in the U.S. were excited to tick these boxes off, and I went oh crap. Uh, but, uh, it, I mean, it all worked out, but I wound up traveling around Europe to a different city every day for five weeks, which is not the way to see Europe no. in the UK. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, there were two occasions when to satisfy the terms of the Kickstarter, I had to play two cities in one day. So we had a brunch concert in Cologne and an evening concert in Frankfurt and things like that. Ugh. Wow. And yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, when you're when you're doing uh, a big tour like that, and it's kind of the tour is financed before you leave, uh, which is a great relief. Um, how much? Well, pressure- partially, partially financed before we leave. Oh, we so have to we- earn the rest once we get there with our door charges and things, you know. Oh, so. okay. So that was kind but of. But it's just be my- so expensive. Yeah, <laughs> to that, get was, there. <laughs> that was going to be my question: Is that like how much pressure is there then to try and uh, get the the people through the door once you get there? Is it is it a different feeling to a normal gig at home? I mean, it was definitely a delicate proposition. We, uh, it's, uh, I think I underestimated the expense in a couple ways. Um, the, uh, the food was a lot more expensive than I realized for, I, I have to, I'm responsible for feeding me and also my uh, guitarist, Scott, and the food was more expensive than I realized because of the currency and everything. Mm. Um, and, 
the uh, the train tickets were free, which is wonderful. I, not free. The train tickets were part of the package that we got. You know, we paid for the plane tickets and the train tickets. But uh, we were just there too long without any days off. And you, taking days off is really expensive because, of course, I'm paying for us and our food and our travel and we're not playing. And I did not arrange enough days off in there. And so we both got sick. And uh, <laughs> by the end, um, that was really – we actually spent – I had like four days in Dublin, which was our time off. I was so excited because I love being there. It's so walkable. It's so pleasant at that time of year. And mm. – um, and we both were too sick to enjoy. I think you were too, so you couldn't come to the I show. I know. I had I had I was in I was in bed for 3 days myself when you had come yeah. over. It was ridiculous. There was like I think there was a flu going around at the time. Yeah. Oh god, it was awful. We were just overworked. I mean, we were we were overworked and we both collapsed, but we're on our last few train trips through Germany uh and from Berlin and just like in pieces. I mean, we were a wreck. So uh <coughs> coughing just remembering it <laughs> but uh, uh th- that said it was so 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 much fun but um earning enough money to make that trip work is really difficult i've gone back twice since and both trips have worked out uh but i've had to still kind of privately go to some of my biggest fans there and ask for sponsorship in advance you know and say okay. you know will you like will you help me get my plane ticket will you help me get my train ticket and we've gone for more reasonable amounts of time, you know, three or four weeks, not five and a half weeks. That was crazy. And would you think um, that was the biggest lesson you learned from doing it and, and going back again? It was just like to change the amount of time that you were there or do you think was changing the type of shows yeah, that you were and doing? Then it, you know, I actually was on a train in England, um, uh, which is much less present than a train on the continent. I was on a train in England and I realized I needed to write a new contract with myself. My union needed to have negotiations with the management. <laughs> uh, that's the trouble with being self-employed is that your boss is a bitch and your only employee is really lazy. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, re- I renegotiated my contract with myself and I wrote up a you know, bunch of terms like you, you get to stay in a hotel one night a week uh, just for some privacy from, from fans. I love homestays, but you need, you need a night off from, from performing for fans once you're done performing the show, you know? Mm, yeah. Uh, and uh, you don't, you get one day off a week from performing and traveling um you get uh, uh there's no pay negotiation sadly because whatever i earn or don't earn on the tour that's what i take home yeah i'll go uh, see your boss anyway yeah exactly yeah winch <laughs> and um and uh just and and some rules about like if you're if you're in a situation where you think your lodging's okay and you arrive and it's substandard you need to be brave enough to say i think we're going to stay in a hotel tonight for our health or whatever you know so right uh which has happened a number of times that's a lesson i've learned um uh, uh and about smoking actually and about playing non-smoking venues which is a thing i've stopped encountering in the u.s several years ago right uh we just don't have as much of it and then in, i went back to europe and was like oh right cigarettes i remember these <laughs> yeah i said that was more so on the continent than um than oh yeah the farther east you go it's there's a very direct you know you go 100 miles east that's that's one percent more cigarette smoke everywhere wow. it's just uh pretty amazing and in the czech republic we had the best time oh my god we had a wonderful time in prague we went to a science fiction convention there and uh it was wild and it was crazy i had a translator i had a fixer um we got sandwiches made of mayonnaise out of vending machines we uh ate and drank so much good stuff uh tons and tons of beer (laughs) tons of liquor staying up late doing the convention thing with people that we had trouble communicating with and it was but it was just one of the best times and um but everywhere we went, there was so much cigarette smoke. And I think that was part of what triggered the sort of getting ill on the second half of the trip. And um, 
it was it was so funny to kind of go to realize that basically the closer you get to the former Soviet Union, uh, that it's it's just an amazing, amazingly direct line to uh, to smoking as well as to a lot of other interesting stuff. So. Yeah, I feel I feel in a lot of ways it's, um, the further I go east, the more I go into the past. <laughs> there's like there's, the, there's, like, a, sure. there's like a five year gap for every time mm-hmm. zone I go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also there's also this sense of um, uh, I don't know. There's also a sense of clarity among the folks we met there. Like, so we're we're hanging out with sci-fi fans, right? But these are sci-fi fans who are you know kind of my age, meaning old enough to remember when they were watching bootleg copies of Star Wars and other movies that were not approved, uh, that were literally illegal in someone's basement and being scared of being caught. You know, that gives you a very different connection to science fiction and the and what it means to you. Yeah. And so I don't think I've ever seen such a pure sort of fan love for these stories or appreciation for what they really mean, or even a, just like the celebratory era, being able to all get together and play video games, you know, being able to play something as, as preposterous there as like Grand Theft Auto. Uh, and, and to be able to have, there were, there were a very small brony contingent and there were, there were like panels on My Little Pony and sexuality. And I was just like, could you have had this before? And they were like, no. And the little kids don't understand, but we who are, you know, like 30 and up, we care so passionately about organizing this stuff because we remember when it was literally, you know, forbidden underground. Uh, yeah, it, it was really cool. It was very cool to talk to them. Yeah. It's, it was interesting very to different see, perspective on fandom. Yeah. Interesting <laughs> to see like geek stuff as like a punk rock rebellious thing in a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, in the West, a lot of times I've seen people try to frame it that way. And I'm like, guys, guys. Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica are not itch. They're, you know, these are, these are massive, massive intellectual properties. And I, I'm glad I love them. I'm glad you love them. But that doesn't make you an outsider. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always sometimes you see that on the celebrity interviews these days when they go to late night talk show. And it's like, I'm just like so weird and like strange. Like I liked Star Wars growing up. And it's just like, no, no. <laughs> no, everyone, everyone liked Star Wars growing up. Oh, what was funny in the Czech Republic, one of the approved uh, cartoons that they could watch, even when they were small, was DuckTales for some reason. Oh, nice. And so every like, but it was retranslated to mean different things, you know. And uh, was it an attack so on capitalism? I don't, I don't know. This, I, I maybe Scrooge McDuck diving into his gold, uh, his stacks of gold in the tower. I don't know what that actually meant. Maybe some, maybe some uh, listeners who know can tell us what it was like more detailed. But we wound up running around drunk singing the Ducktales theme song at the top of our lungs because it was the only song we all knew. <laughs> oh my god, it was hilarious. So okay, so yeah. do, does your because the the you're talking about the smoke and and do you find you're a person who has to be super protective of your voice or do you find that it's it's battle hardened at this point? Oh, definitely battle hardened. I've I've been to Helms Deep and back, man. That was my <laughs> that was that, that Europe trip was my Helms Deep. Yeah, well, you wore armor for the for the, fo- for the promo photos, so. <laughs> Yeah, armor in zero degrees. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, uh, it would be probably negative twenty for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the uh, that was that was great. Uh, someone illustrated, uh, someone photoshopped a little dragon onto my shoulder for one of those photographs of wearing kind of bikini armor out in the freezing cold. Yeah, I can't, uh, I can't imagine that metal was good in the cold either on your you know, spare skin. <laughs> it conducts heat better than it. It conducts heat really well. Like you'd put it on, and it'd be freezing, and then within a second, it would warm up to your skin temperature. I was very surprised. Okay, it was not that bad. I've done worse. I did a ball gown shoot out in the snow, which was actually much worse. Um, 
Yeah, the metal metal was surprisingly effective um, <laughs> as as the body cover. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to get that suit of armor back. I bought it, uh, but I had to send it back to the guy who made it to give it a polish because it was getting some rust spots. And so I think he's going to coat it in something. Okay. And uh, then I can get it back and see if I still fit in it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's a, that's a, have you ever d- like dared to wear it like at a concert or anything like that? Because I feel like when you do a con show, I mean that's a per- ideal time to actually rock out that you know, costume. I would, I would love to, but the response I got was not the response I wanted from my fans. You know, like there there was appreciation and there was fun and everything, but like I was wearing it just for fun because I thought it was kind of cool and badass. But it brought out a side of my existing fans that I was like, I don't want to see this. Ah, uh, the, creep, the creepy dudes showed up, right? I don't want I don't want your sexy cat collie comments. And I just like, and I don't get them most of the time because I, I have kind of a button down vanilla image and I, which is genuinely me, but, and wearing bikini armor is genuinely me too. But it just, it got a response I didn't like. And so I realized I don't think I want to go I I, I like being sexy, but I'll keep being sexy for my private life. Right. Uh, so, yeah. And I, I had lengthy arguments with a couple of gentlemen who just didn't understand why I didn't like that kind of attention if I was dressing this way. And I was like, I just because I don't, because you're being rude. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like it, it, because, I, because I'm not doing it for you because I'm doing it for me. Well, that um, was it. There was nothing about it that seemed like uh, cheesecakey. It seemed like very much like a Dungeons and Dragons character that you were playing. Totally. You know? Yeah, yeah. It was very. It was. It was power trippy, and it was kind of a commentary on impractical armor, um, which I think is preposterous. But I also like the idea that um, that a lady gets to choose her impractical armor. Like, it's. It, have you ever? Okay, this is very meta. But have you ever? Um, felt as if there might be a differentiation between characters who wear impractical armor because an artist slapped it on them versus characters who wear impractical armor because they enjoy it and they have some agency in the notion. Like there's, which seems like a silly differentiation, but whether your clothing is, is the product of the patriarchy or an empowering, you know, kind of super queen, badass lady kind of construct for you. I think it's about agency. Like you could wear the same clothes because someone else is making you, and it would be awful, and you could wear them for yourself, and they would be empowering. It's it's all about agency, and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I've had. <laughs> Does I've that had, make sense? No, I've definitely <laughs> had similar conversations with people. I'm a big uh, comic book guy, and and um, within the X Men is a character called Emma Frost. I don't know if you're familiar. with Yeah, her. Lo- yes, I know Emma Frost. Yeah. yeah, so she her costume has always been like in, you know incredibly <laughs> scant. Um, uh, uh, there's a, an argument within people about whether or not that was creepy guys, uh, creepy artists putting that on her, or if she would, as a character, actually be using that mm-hmm. to mentally play with people and stuff like that. And it's it's a it's an interesting thing to discuss, and and I think it's it's often harder to get to the bottom of, unfortunately, when so many of these characters are uh, both created and drawn by men. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. It's but, hard to figure uh, out. Well, but I, and I think that this applies to real humans too, is that I can go out for like New Year's Eve or something and, and, you know, get, get all dressed up and wear a short skirt and be, you know, enjoy, enjoy being a human, you know, and, uh, enjoy being young and dancing, you know, just New Year's Eve and stuff like that. But, and, and in one minute I can feel totally empowered and powerful. And then in another minute, depending on what's happening, I can feel like, you know, objectified. And it's, it's, it's a moment to moment thing. I think it's, uh, it's, it's about how you feel. It's about what you're choosing and it's about how people react. And it's, it's a lot more complicated than just, you know, this is sexist. That isn't, it's, uh, 
it's yeah yeah it's and, and i think it's ultimately about what's going on inside the head of the person who makes the choice and uh and yeah. I, I like my world complicated, unfortunately, which is why there are certain things I don't talk about on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, especially, I mean, I, I have a, a, a friend who who I won't name, but she's a, a professional in the entertainment industry and, and she's been withdrawing constantly from Twitter because while she is a very outspoken person, she finds it's very difficult to become outspoken on that platform these days without having, as a woman, having just people to shout at her for an enormous amount of oh, reasons. Oh, for real. Um, for real. Well, it's not, a, it's not a good format for nuance um, and, and for yeah. complications. And so I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to learn how to really embrace the things that I believe truly without nuance, which there are a few, you know, that I have very strong principles about, but and that I'm really willing to defend that hard, but uh, but yeah, it's also possible for a. <clears throat> it's also uh, if if there's something that I feel is a very gray area or very complicated or could be at all misinterpreted these days, I'm just keeping it under my hat for some blog post that I would write if I didn't spend so much time on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what yeah. you mean. Um, Maybe someday the human race will appreciate complexity, nuance, and. Uh, subtlety the way we would all wish but today is not that day not yet <laughs> yeah i think i think there's just always there's a there's a home for us but it the, the home moves um yeah, uh, constantly yeah. that's, that's a weird thing about the internet is that like you know like everyone was on myspace and then they migrated to facebook or twitter and then you know uh <laughs> when you do that the problem is, is that you think you can do the same things as you did before on this new format but the new format has its own uh, pitfalls yeah. and stuff and it's it's the internet is an mm-hmm. ever-growing beast <laughs> it is and it's also a little migrant community going from one place to the next in search of silly memes and laughs and thoughtful conversations and support and love and and you know all these things that i feel like i've gotten from strangers on the internet and uh i mean and it and it will keep changing. It's hard to let go of the communities that you had that don't exist anymore. Like, I miss my old MySpace community. It was yeah. so amazing. And uh, it was so thrilling to be in the early days of realizing what social media could do. Um, but I can't quite go back to that community anymore. It doesn't exist in the same way. But I also can't quite go back to the delight of discovering it for the first time either, you know? Yeah. As often as I reread a book or rewatch a movie, I'm really wishing I could just see it the first time again, you know? Yeah. And I, I can I, never I, do that. I kind of <laughs> miss, like, forums. <clears throat> yeah. Forums yeah. were a big thing for so long, and, and they were really just like a... a a clubhouse um of on large scales but it, it's uh they just they all have died off now they're not, not quite the same anymore. well except for reddit and i'm not going there <laughs> no that's a whole different yeah uh, as, as a lady person i'm, I'm just like uh, eh. <laughs> um i do read it sometimes and i miss like i wish i had a space like that uh, a little bit more like that but uh i, I curate my twitter pretty aggressively so it it serves me well um I like it. <laughs> so when you're, because you, you were talking about, you know, going to people's houses and stuff for, for gigs, is that, has that ever been a worry for you? Because like, that, to me, that's a terrifying prospect is to go to someone's house to play a show. Oh, you know, I've done probably 500 house concerts now and I have been in a couple of like kind of gross spaces. I've never felt like I was in a dangerous space. Um, but, uh, 
I mean, the thing, the thing to fear is really just embarrassing or awkward interactions and, <laughs> and forcing your own boundaries, right? Which are difficult, admittedly difficult. Mm. Uh, and I've, as I've grown, I've learned to enforce my boundaries better and I've learned, uh, how to manage awkward interactions better just by practice, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and that has been the lesson, but I have met so many great people. I mean, just everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. I'm really lucky uh, in my fan base. And I think that's in part, uh, just the kind of art I make is, uh, it appeals to a very kind of like a, a, a PG bringing out the best in people kind of stuff. I mean, I, it's not like I'm super hopeful and happy, but my work sounds super hopeful and happy. If you take a shallow reading of it, if you dive deeper, it's pretty dark. But, um, <laughs> and so I tend to, I tend to kind of get that back from my fans. My first fan group was, uh, the Brown Coats. Yeah, because like you had, you had written much... a couple of Firefly songs, hadn't you? Yeah, and I didn't I didn't know what Filk was, and then I found myself making it before I even knew it had a name. Um, and uh, uh, I wound up getting my first kind of record deal uh, was actually by a uh, Quantum Mechanics. QMX is a prop, sort of a prop uh, replica shop, um, and they have licenses to make just gorgeous, gorgeous stuff having to do with. Uh, Battlestar and Firefly and Serenity, and they commissioned me to make a whole album about Battlestar, Firefly, Serenity, and I was like, "What? Okay." <laughs> but they paid for it, and they they produced it, and then they let me keep the rights, which was fantastic. Like that was really nice of them. Um, and uh, so they uh, uh, produced this record, and I wound up with this brown coat fan base, and they were just such great people. I mean, they. The people who are attracted to that particular fandom, I think, tend to be people who the kind of the moral code and the westernishness sort of appeals to, and um, and I think the show itself sort of calls out the best in people. There's a lot of moralizing in the show, yeah. um, and because it ended so early, they're very dedicated. Like a ton of people, probably a lot more people love Battlestar Galactica, but because the show got to spin out all the way to the end, uh, I don't think it obsesses people as much. People had enough time to get bored with it. Yeah, yeah, I had enough time to have a, a flawed episode or two, you know. It's, yeah. Uh, but this one, because it was so short and because it ended so soon, I think people people's imaginations kept spinning, and uh, they kept wanting more, and that's why they became a community, you know. And um, so spending time with them was great. I felt very safe with them. Um, they were very protective of me, even when I walked into situations I probably shouldn't have, you know, <laughs> as a naive sort of young person. And, uh, and they were, they were great. So fandom really helped me out at that phase. I think if I were starting now, just with the internet having matured as it has, I would be a lot more nervous, Mm. but I started early enough that I very much, I know my fans. I've already been around the country. I've hugged most of them in person when I see them (laughs) talking to me on the internet. I know who they are. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, nice to have that kind of relationship. And I think it was easier to establish at a slightly earlier, more innocent internet era. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, how did you come across the idea of it because i honestly hadn't heard of it before you um i hadn't heard of anyone doing that sort of thing so had you seen someone else do it or did someone suggest the idea to you or or did you just think hey i'll just play at someone's house oh house concerts yeah um there there i mean house concerts are the oldest kind of music there is I, all music used to just be in someone's house uh for thousands and thousands of years right um it's it's less that it uh it's less that it's a new thing and more that there was this brief gap where it stopped happening. 
in history, you know? Okay. So, um, and I'm a, I grew up a classical musician and jazz musician and my parents were working musicians. They were just like the, the, the musical equivalent of being the town plumber, you know, just like go around and play, play all the weddings, play all the funerals, play at the, this play at the, that accompany the kids at the recital, uh, host a classical concert at a church. You know, that's, that's very much the life I grew up kind of tagging along in when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine, you can, picture me in a fluffy little dress and saddle shoes reading a book and sitting while my parents played uh, at someone's wedding that I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> and um, it was it was a fun upbringing. I loved it. Um, and uh, it was a very kind of practical, old-fashioned approach to music. Every town has always needed its village fiddler. Right. And most towns still have them. You just have to look as to where. In Dublin, you certainly do. Uh, all over Ireland, I think there's a strong tradition of maybe not so much house concerts, but, you know, gathering unplugged in public spaces to just sit and play whether anyone wants you to or not. <laughs> yeah, but like, busking is a very big thing here. Yeah. Yeah. Or just having a session is, is something that I think is a throwback to how music's always been. It's Or not a throwback, but a continuity line, you right. know. Um, and so house concerts are the same. It's I do use amplification just so my voice doesn't quit on me because I can't sing as loud as a guitar can play. Right. Uh, but um, but other than that, it's just the same way that you know if someone was traveling through town, you would all gather in a room that could hold everyone and sit and listen and throw money in the hat. Like that's that's I love how old it is. Actually, it's wonderful. And um, we don't charge a cover charge. We just tell people give what you can and give give how much you appreciate it. And if you can't give anything, then tell someone you liked it. And it's very family, you know. So, and I, I think I've had one or two guests that were annoying, but I've never had a guest that was a problem. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I kind of um, I can't imagine you having like a very drunken, leery like kind of uh, crowd at a, one of your shows. I, I can't. <laughs> We've definitely had drunken crowds, but it's been a merry crowd. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine they all have like a different lot of characters say, too. Like, yeah, I can't imagine you get ahead. the Freebird shout a lot though. Oh, that's why I wrote a song called Freebird. The, the funny thing is, drunk assholes will yell Freebird because they're drunk assholes, and <laughs> sober nerds will yell Freebird because they're ironically aping drunk assholes. But the effect is the same. So, both the Double Clicks and I have written a song about this. Um, theirs is Freebird, Freebird. You are the guy who yelled Freebird. And it's hilarious. Uh, yeah. I actually wrote a song called Freebird, which is about don't tell me what to sing. I decide what to sing. Nice. Um, and <laughs> it's subtitled Don't Fucking Touch Me, um, <laughs> which is a thing as a female singer that you do have to deal with. Mostly when you if you like I don't play in bars very much for that reason. Like right. Guy, drunk, drunk guys just kind of feel entitled to touch the pretty lady singer. So I just that's why I do house concerts. And no one does that there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine it's weirder to do it in someone's home. Um, which is strange because you think the opposite would be true. You think people would be more reserved in the public space. <laughs> Wouldn't you wish? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know. Unfortunately, it's not true. I think it has to do with how well they know you. And if they know you, they wouldn't do that. Or if they think they're ever going to see you again, they wouldn't do that, uh, hopefully. And yeah. in a home, it's like immediately they're in this space where they're, you know, you're, you're confronting each other in kind of a more intimate space that's like friends. And so they, they can't. They can't have that same entitlement to you that they might have if they think you're a stranger. Because you're not strangers. You're sharing a potluck together. <laughs> and you have to hang out for the next three hours. So, yeah. But it's, um, yeah, there's something about, about that, uh, uh, I don't know, about that space that makes it really pretty safe. A lot of people are nervous to come into a house concert space. 
Um, I think I would be too, if I'm honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like what someone else's house and I come and I, it starts very awkward. Um, it's very intimate. A lot of times it is. And it's very, and I, uh, and I can see the the uncertainty, you know, on people's faces as they're like, okay, what am I doing? Especially because a huge percentage of nerd fans are hardcore introverts, right? Oh, yeah. Like they do not like going in public spaces. And the more intimate the public space, the harder it is for them, right? Um, but a little bit of, you know, glass of wine, glass of beer, breaking bread together, talking to a couple people helps. And then doing the first half of the concert really helps. Because on the break, people tend to either, you know, disappear and be silent or they'll talk to me. Or they'll wind up talking to their neighbors and find out that they have friends who work at the same place and that they like the same things. And, oh, I like your T-shirt. It's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer or whatever. And, you know, it goes on from there. And by the end of the night, most of the time, people have made friends. And sometimes people make good friends. And I've had I've had couples get married because they met at house concerts. I mean, wow. it's, uh, it's, it's usually, not always, but, you know, I'd say 90% of the time, really a bonding experience for the audience. I must I must imagine as well as a performer um there's a level there's an extra level of power or control of the room that you would probably have in a situation like that when you know there's a lot of people kind of awkward or feeling a little bit insecure <laughs> about being there that you kind of really you can just control the space so much easier I would find. Well yeah, they're so eager to listen. They're so eager to have something to do besides sit there awkwardly. Mm. Uh but and they're excited for the concert. Presumably, they made all this effort. Um, yeah, but you can't. And hide, their, like if you're their a, attention is a hundred percent in my hands, and that's yeah. really that's how you want it for a good comedy show. I mean, for for or or for a show where, like me, I really jump between comedy and tragedy all the time, <laughs> because I think audiences are smart enough to do that, right. and and enjoy doing it, and enjoy being taken as as smart enough to do it. Um, and uh, but you can't do that without full attention. And in a house concert environment usually you have just completely quiet room with everyone focused and because they feel a little awkward too they're eager to laugh which is helpful um <laughs> <laughs> except in minnesota not in minnesota i had to get used to that uh, um well joseph scrimshaw but, will tell you all about that yeah yeah there there are regional places where I, I have to get used to a little kind of a twitch of a grin being the same as a laugh out loud and uh and that's all right i'm used to it now but at first it was rough <laughs> Yeah, it's is there where would you say is kind of like the toughest crowd? Is 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 Minnesota it or is there an even worse place to go to as oh, far no. as like I mean Minnesota's not it. I think it's more uh uh you know Germany was really tough at first. Um, oh, I can imagine that very easily having been there. <laughs> until I learned until I well and also because there's a language barrier and when you're facing a room full of people you haven't talked to them all, you're not sure if everyone speaks English. Or to what degree they're going to understand your your yeah. double entendres and your rhymes and your patter songs and your puns, you know, like it's a. Uh, uh, <laughs> so you're very anxious for the first half as you're wondering what people are getting out of it or if they're getting anything out of it, and they don't laugh a lot. They don't, you know, very not a lot of smiling, and just generally reserved. Especially the farther east you go, as you said, like Berlin, it was a tough crowd, but we wound up having it. They also. Um, mellow out as they have a beer or two right so by the second half is completely different from the first half <laughs> and then by the end of the night you're all best friends and you're dancing together and it's great <laughs> but yeah that, that took a little getting used to and do you uh, then kind of you know as an extension of that like the com the far opposite of a house show is the kind of conventions that you'll do and i know you don't do a lot of conventions but you've done a few over the years now 
how do you find them? Because I feel like that's a strange environment for musicians to go into. I spoke uh, to Seth Boyer a little bit about this when I had him on the podcast. And like he <laughs> he he hates it. He just hates doing. He does not like it. No. I drag him along, and he hates it. Oh yeah. man, <laughs> I dragged him to Dragon Con once, and he was so miserable. Oh man, that was funny. <laughs> I felt bad. I'm glad you not brought him along. Bad, That's how I got to meet him. So you know, he's the best. Yeah, he was just. But yeah, he likes to. He like the thing is, he hates conventions, but he loves the hangout. Yeah. And so he suffers most of the weekend, but he gets the best hangouts of his life in at the same time. And so I, I'd feel bad for it, but he keeps coming. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, we, uh, I don't know. I, conventions used to sort of invite me as a musical guest, and that's been on the decrease lately. So I'm still trying to figure out how to make enough money to make it work. Uh, and um, because it's so expensive to be there, even if you do get, manage to get a free pass, it's just cost so much to go to a convention yeah hotel um, flights and food again yeah and you're also because you're there for the weekend you're not playing shows you could be playing in the same city like i can't i can't play a san diego concert the same weekend that i'm at san diego comic-con because all of my fans are at comic-con or else avoiding it you know right and uh <laughs> and or working there or and um so i'm also giving up income i could be making playing normal shows right um, so just kind of figuring that out is it's, it's a little complicated. I wish, uh, uh, I wish I could just go as a fan. I've actually never gone to a convention that I'm not working at. Uh, that would be exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, ki- I've, I'm kind of the same. I, I've, I've gone to kind of one that I wasn't working at, but I was legitimately there to try and network very hard. Um, <laughs> so it was still technically working, but, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's I don't I don't get it as much of a thrill out of it, but I know I'm a little bit weird in the sense of I don't like mm-hmm. meeting celebrities or getting their autographs because uh, yeah <laughs> I I don't and it's it's a it's very much an ego thing because I don't want to be seen as like a fan I want to be seen as an equal um so if I go up to someone I, like that's why I like I understand yeah well it's and that's I I see people have that diff do you ever see this someone has that difficulty when they're approaching you. And they're trying to figure out how to how do I get in, how do I get out of fan category and into uh, colleague category, you know? And they're trying to negotiate that. Yeah, it's, really, it's funny and interesting, and because um, I because I see it myself all the time because you just have a different relationship. And uh, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just kind of how you're introduced some of the time. Because if if yep. if someone has someone I know has has been the go-between then usually i'm kind of like oh hello random person even if they like know my work or whatever uh it's 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 more of a a a human being that's being approached to me but then if you're (laughs) if it's after a show and someone's like hey yeah i'm like hey thanks bye (laughs) yeah i'm gone yeah Um, nice to meet you buddy yeah, yeah yeah it's it can't be about the introduction it can be about i mean uh the the celebrity thing is funny. It's really really funny. Like I I never thought I would be in a position to start meeting you know movie stars and stuff like that. And then I just kind of got thrown in with this crowd that occasionally does, and most of the time don't care at all. And then sometimes it'll be someone I know from when I'm really young. Like if it, if it's a celebrity I was conscious of when I was a kid, yeah. Then sometimes I will freak out, and uh, and it's a really surprising response in yourself when you're not used to it. Just, what what is happening? Would you say ah. would you say you're a shy person naturally? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 
at my concerts, I'm not, but that's because I have a role. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm the person who comes to a big party and starts doing the dishes just so I have something to do, right? <laughs> and then I'll talk to the person who's in the kitchen and then we'll have a conversation and then I'll be safe. But like, I need a role. I'll start passing out drinks or bartending or doing anything to have a function. And once I have a function, I'm okay. And so at these like celebrity hangs, I literally will just stand in the corner. I mean, I just, I don't, right. I don't know what to, and talk to the one person that I know and wait politely to, you know, speak when spoken to and all that. And, um, uh, I mean, that was probably what I was doing when I first met you, uh, was hanging out with Ken Plume at, uh, Dragon Con. I was probably talking to the one or two people I knew and yeah, I sitting think so. politely and <laughs> wait, and not talking to other people. I think I met James Urbaniak at that same one. We actually became friends later and hung out in LA, but um, yeah, I think we barely spoke. Um, yeah, I think I saw you very little actually that first time. And then I, we, I was, I'm, I'm invisible. I'm good at being wallpaper. Yeah. And then, and then the second <laughs> time you came back, even though I had not known you a little bit at that point, because um, you've been to two when I've been there, right? Yeah. Yeah, the second one you came back with was like very much. Uh, I saw you even less <laughs> somehow the second time around. <laughs> that was because we were so. Uh, I had this. Uh, oh my god! Do you want a crazy gig story? Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Dragon Con, I've had some success at actually getting gigs. You know, like playing the brown coat ball or or things like that. And the second time I came, I had people at Space Camp in Huntsville who really wanted to do an event. Um, and you might recall we took Ken out oh, there. Oh, yes, it was took, on the Monday, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was on Monday. It was on, It was on. what is it, uh, Labor Day. Mm. Uh, the day after Dragon Con, me and Ben, ben, ben and uh, Molly Lewis and Seth and uh, Ken and Phil Plate, the bad astronomer, we kind of all went out to Huntsville to space camp, which is about a two-and-a-half-hour drive. I was very jealous of all of you going out. I was very jealous of all of you. It was so cool. It was amazing. (laughs) And when we played this concert, staring down the barrel of a Saturn V rocket in the biggest room I've ever been in. It was amazing. Um, And we live streamed it. Here's the problem, though. The gal who helped set it up on the space camp end, you know, I'd been emailing with her. But she apparently was not. She quit the day after we did the thing. And so she had done just no work, no (laughs) preparation work at all for our show. So we get there. I was like where's the stage? Where's the internet connection so we can live stream? Where's the audio? You said we were going to have this. You said we we're going to have that. It was like, it was just a nightmare. And we had only about two or three hours before people showed up. And then it turned out no people showed up because she also hadn't done any publicity. Oh, uh, no. Like she hadn't even posted it in the Huntsville paper. And I was just like, oh my God. So this is this big open kind of open house day for space camp and no one is here. And so we were playing for this empty audience and, but still trying to keep the energy up because we were live streaming and the live stream wasn't working because they couldn't get us internet that worked. And the audio was broken and the, the webcam was too far away because they had set us up all awkwardly. And Oh my God, it was bad. Um, yeah, I remember. I remember trying to look at the live feed and like, <laughs> yeah, the live feed. The wherever the camera was, I think like they had like another laptop in front of the camera that was slightly obscuring the view of the stage. <laughs> no, that was that was literally the only place we could clip the camera uh, without having a hand hold it. There was no, like we 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 didn't even get a table to put our computers on until about fifteen minutes before we were ready to go, and we couldn't figure out how to route the audio into the computer so the webcam was taking the audio just from the room from oh. far away oh god it was bad i felt so awful but it was also because they didn't have any of the stuff set up they said they were gonna we didn't even have electricity near the stage and they had set up no sound system at all so we were like well okay i'm glad i have my sound system in my car um <laughs> well hey on the plus was, side you had a rough, fun day at space was camp so nice everyone was game you know they did a good job and afterwards phil plate just kind of took us on a tour of all the cool stuff they had there which is much better 
outfit. <laughs> yeah, I was oh, gonna. God. Yeah, because you guys got to try on like the spacesuits and stuff. So you know, there was there was Molly some... Lewis in a jumpsuit. Oh, it's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I know that was like our profile picture for so long. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, but it was. Oh man, that was that was really rough. I didn't. That's see, that's the risk is when you're just emailing someone in, about a gig and then you show up and you have it's nothing like they said. There's nothing you can do. Uh, yeah. So. And with house concerts, at least I can figure something out. You know, I have all the tools I need. In this case, I did not. And but happily, I didn't lose any friends over it that I know of. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we had a good time. But we got to look at the Saturn V rocket from up close. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so, but that's why you didn't see me at all that Dragon Con was because I was preparing frantically for that and freaking out about it, and uh, apparently didn't quite freak out enough. Yeah, so. <laughs> I, and, I, and to be honest, that was like four years ago now, and this is the first I've heard of that gig going badly. No one, no one else had mentioned any negative words about that show, and I've seen everybody since. So, uh, oh, good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, so you didn't lose any friends at all. Um, that's good yeah i mean occasionally I, I i do organize big big gigs sometimes and sometimes they go freaking great and occasionally they don't you know like it's uh i've been doing one called space time lately um, yeah you said the live stream once a month right oh no 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 that's a uh, uh double clicks live stream once a month because they're clever um oh. <laughs> yeah FaceTime is have, we haven't live streamed it yet because it's a show i'm still developing but um i have it's a variety show but it's silly and serious as opposed to just being a comedy show, you know? Okay. Like I love doing, I love doing Wootstock and I love doing shows like that that are just hilarious beginning to end. But, um, you know, hopefully, but, uh, <laughs> <pray>. I <laughs> am more of a public radio person who enjoys the melancholy and the silly being all mixed together. I like, I don't see a conflict there. And I, I, I like my humor with a serious edge and I like my, I like my comedy dark and I like my, I like my serious discussions, lightened you know by Mm. anyway so i invited a bunch of people to all make something new for this show called space time and we had like a little radio drama and a history lesson and a personal essay and a fiction short fiction work and that was just made everybody cry and uh and some new songs and some little like uh old-timey radio jingle stuff it was it was really fun it was kind of like the moth meets thrilling adventure hour meets uh radio lab and then, and then the really fun part, of course, was that we had uh, Bob Akfordowski uh, come in and talk about his Mars mission, and we had the Mars rover driver and his wife come in and talk about, uh, uh, well, the, the Mars rover driver and her husband, who now works at Google. He's no longer the Mars rover driver. Uh, and, <laughs> and they're, uh, but they both worked at JPL and talked about driving the rover on Mars and nice. accidentally drawing a dick on Mars, you know, and uh, it was really good. <laughs> Uh, but I thought I thought that was going to be an ongoing thing. Was that just a once-off? No, we've done it four times now. Okay. Um, but it's very hard to get everyone together, right? So I've done it uh, once in LA, twice in San Diego, and once in Seattle. Okay. Uh, I don't know why in my head I thought that happened once a month. So clearly I was just... Oh, <laughs> no, no. Not yet. Maybe someday. I'd love it to. I need to finish some of my own stuff first. But I, I really love the format, though. Like, I'd love to, I would love it to exist as a podcast at some point if I had an excuse to, like, spend a month or two in Seattle and produce a few of them and then release them as a podcast or something. Mm. I think that would be so great. Uh, but uh, but that's a little bit in the future. I'm still developing it. So it's still kind of 
still a bit locked down as far as the content, yeah. but it's such a lovely show. I'm hoping we get to do it on a larger scale soon uh, after I finish this and can kind of turn my attention to it. Yeah. I, I really love it. I think it's going to be great. Well, that's just it. And it's, it's always it's when you when you stumble upon a format that just has that little bit of magic to it. Um, it's, yeah. it, it can be so invigorating um, creatively. It kind of gets you jazzed about doing stuff again, which is, is can be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that the thing that I stumbled on, or the thing that I've, I've kind of, after 10 years of performing, have, have sort of begun to conclude, is that there are two things people fail to do. One is to be brief, and then change, you know, to, to do the, the four or five minutes and then change. Right. Is really, it can be really refreshing if you're not demanding too much of your audience. But then the other thing is just to trust them to be able to go with you different places, you know, to trust them to be able to laugh and then be able to cry and then be able to laugh again and trust them to be smart and, and follow what you're doing or trust them to like something that's a little weird. And, uh, and those two things kind of combined. And then I thought, well, I'm just going to get all my favorite people in a room and ask them to talk about what they do. And it was, it was so great. It was so great. Oh man, I can't wait to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So where's the best place for people to find that? Seems as you've you've talked it up wonderfully. Oh, they should just keep an eye on me, and I will I will be working more on getting that into the public domain, and not into the public domain, but into the public eye. Uh, so twitter.com uh, forward slash Marion Yep, I don't think you have to say forward slash anymore, Aaron. All right, I think you can just say slash. I, I, uh, <laughs> there's two types of slashes. People can get I confused. Know, I know. I know. I know. Oh, for all the times I've heard people say backslash when they don't mean backslash. I know. <laughs> just, well, oh, like, guys, like, guys. I think, I think me, myself and yourself, I think there's a year between me and you. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, do you I, – I know I've started to feel this way that, like, uh, I'm starting to feel like an old man online now. Like On the internet? Yeah. yeah. I don't know what the kids are doing with the Snapchat business these days. <laughs> I, what, are, what are they? Yik yak, what's that? I know. And it seems I I actually legitimately can't wrap my head around Snapchat because of the idea of doing something online and not having it preserved forever seems like the opposite of everything I want to do. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm I'm just writing my biography 140 characters at a time. I can't imagine erasing that, you know. Yeah. It's like well, people ask me when I'm going to write a book. I'm like, I am. Are you not reading it? <laughs> I, Every now and again, just write like chapter 15 as one tweet and then see if anyone... Oh, that'd be great. I got to start doing that. Um, yeah, I... Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, my website has like everything, everything, mariancall.com. Um, and uh, lots of music to listen to and things like that. And I, although I don't know, this was a very like insider discussion of, like, <laughs> of, of you know how how the industry works and stuff like that it was it's really fun this is i care about this stuff so much but i don't know how interesting it is oh well, uh, i mean it, I, <laughs> I i was interested in it that's why i wanted to talk to you about this sort of stuff because oh, okay, you know, i'm good. fascinating because it, it works across platforms as well like i find you know uh like you've the, you're the, i think the third musician i've had on here and ironically two, ah. the two i think are very close friends of yours <laughs> yeah not surprising yeah so uh <laughs> <laughs> like between your uh, yourself Molly and and Seth um I find is a very common ground between you know uh per- performing music and then performing comedy but then also on top of that like writing songs and and writing like I write comic books and I write other things and yeah. just yeah. everything kind of trans anything anything entertainment transcribes to everything else I find so uh yeah well and the question of audience is always with all of us now even with people who don't 
you know, do the arts. Like audience is suddenly a thing everyone gets to have and negotiate and figure out what they want to do with, right? Yeah. I just, yeah. I was I was uh, visiting a classroom with Seth Boyer, actually. Uh, up here in Juneau, we went to visit a middle school choir class. And there were maybe 12 kids. I don't know. It was really small. Uh, and they're middle schoolers, and they're adorable. And we helped them work on their school song that they're writing. And, and it was cute and all. And then uh, I was like, does anyone have any questions for us? We're grown-up professional musicians from the great big world. <laughs> and this one kid raises his hand, and he says what do you do if you write a song and you put it on the internet and everyone makes fun of you? And I just wanted to cry this poor child. I can't imagine having access to the internet before age 22. I'm so glad no one knows what I thought in college. I was an idiot. Right. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, that's that's just just one of the things I talk about. But everyone has an audience now and everyone has to figure out how to have a, a, a relationship with audience that works for them. It's wild. Yeah. That's why I was fascinated talking to Molly because like she started when she was like 15. Like, that's yeah. when she became internet oh, famous. Like, it's, yeah, it's nuts. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's it's kind of, I was like, actually even talking to uh, my girlfriend yesterday. Uh, my girlfriend's, uh, her name is Darcy. She's from New York. And um, I, Have I met Darcy from New York? I think you I might have met Darcy we, from we, New York. No, we've been, we've been together for a year. So it was before. Uh, I, I haven't seen you since we've gotten together. Um, right. But could, I mean, could I have met her in some other capacity? There's not that many. Uh, there's probably lots of Darcy's. I don't know. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. she she does some acting, so you might have met her along the way. Um, she um, she she uh, she's an NYU uh, drama graduate, but um, she I was, she was just talking the other day about because uh, she has a million more friends on Facebook than I do, and she <laughs> she does not care about like you know because she wants to do like psychiatry now, like she's kind of more fascinated by that. So there's no the entertainment aspect of her life is kind of she's put that away. <laughs> Um, and she's laughing at me because I'm so desperate to entertain the masses and to and to like get myself out there. And I have like maybe a third of her Facebook following. And uh, but we were joking about how um, everybody on my Facebook feed knows that we're going out because I've made some posts about, hey, here's my girlfriend and blah, blah, blah. Uh, mm-hmm. But she still gets messages from guys thinking that she's single and trying to ask her to meet <laughs> yeah. up and stuff like that. <laughs> Oh God! Well, you know what's terrible, though. I I have observed, unfortunately, <laughs> when I'm single, I get more fan attention and and literal money than when I'm happily coupled. Uh. So, which is awful, but it's true. Um, yeah, when people think they have a chance with you and you're a lady, they 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 bestow you with more clicks and more money. I wish that were not the case because it's stupid, but it's true. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, sorry. The, uh, I, I lost the point mm-hmm. I was uh, I was trying to make actually because halfway about, through like, about everyone having an audience or something. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. It developing was, a relationship with the internet. <laughs> and uh, but I I I mentioned how um, I, when I post stuff about her, uh, I do so now uh, quite openly about because I used to be very very private about my personal life. Um, mm-hmm. Because when I had my ex girlfriend, um, who I had when I kind of started started out doing entertainment and my first podcast and all that kind of stuff. Um, I stopped posting things uh, about her because I found that the audience that I had at the time were kind of a little bit juvenile and a little bit like, you know, <laughs> boobs and like, you know, that uh, sort of stuff. And yeah. so if I, if, I, <laughs> if I posted anything to go like, oh, what does your girlfriend think of this? What? <laughs> and, um, and so I just withdrew from that. And uh, I noticed, I just happenstance, I just noticed recently when I post about uh, my new girlfriend, 
um, that I don't get that anymore. And I was, and I kind of realized that in the years in between, like in the five or six years in between, I had changed how people think of me, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I was much more vocal about like feminist issues and, and things that I'm, I'm very passionate about mm-hmm. online and, and other kind of social stuff. And I think slowly the more juvenile element of my fandom kind of just stopped caring about me and moved on. Um, yeah. Or I like to think that a couple of them had also grown in those years, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd like to think that too. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. But um, yeah, yeah. You, do, you do kind of, there is a there is a way to shape your audience. And, and it's, uh-huh. uh, that yeah. was the first I learned that I was actually doing it subconsciously. Oh, <laughs> uh, you are, you are doing it subconsciously. You're, you're yeah, you, uh, your, your content, you know, turns on or turns off certain people and attracts them or doesn't. And so, and uh, and I find I have to be really, really careful about the content um, because I want a certain response, and I've learned that there are responses I don't want. Uh, but uh, so, like, there's a degree of self censorship, and maybe that's unfair, but also maybe it's not because if I felt it was more unfair, I would be ignoring it, you know. Or if I, uh, I if I were performing in a pre-internet era, I don't think it would be all that different from how you say certain things when the mic is on and you say other things when the mic is off. I mean, you just you you cultivate your public image. Yeah. And what's weird is just that there's literally millions more people doing that now than there used to be. There's everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a kind of um, it became uh, we all became savvier without realizing it because yeah. it's it's well, when and we all divided into a public and private life without realizing it either. I think there was this this early MySpace period where we felt like you could just be be your brand, you know, and mm. and over time we've consciously or unconsciously started separating out what we will and won't share very carefully. And yeah, I think it. I think it because when we when everyone first went online and MySpace first started, you didn't feel like your parents were online, or you didn't feel like your employer was <laughs> online. So you could say whatever you want, and you didn't think the world. You you knew the world could see it, but you didn't think the world would see it. Right, right, right. <laughs> Whereas yeah, now, and there was also it was amazing to me how I, I had, had so many warnings not to talk to strangers on the internet before that time. You yeah. know. I don't don't talk to strangers on the internet. Don't talk to strangers on the internet, which was probably good advice for you know a young lady. Uh, but uh, on MySpace, where people couldn't get your email, for example, um, it suddenly felt safe, and I was so shocked by how quickly creepy people presented themselves. And I was like, <laughs> "Oh, you're creepy. Bye." You know, I, I think probably maybe only twice in my life have I met people who were totally different in real life than they were on the internet, you know, okay. who, just, who shocked me by being so terrible, you know, but also, again, I'm lucky in that I have a great fan base uh, of a certain kind, but like I, people who are trying to hide that they're awful on the internet don't usually do a good job. <laughs> <laughs> the sad thing is some people aren't even trying anymore. <laughs> I know. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> all right well listen we we should wrap things up i know you have uh, a, yeah. a busy day and, and life yeah to get i gotta on with. gotta cut together some vocals and try and figure out why my midi cable isn't working <laughs> <laughs> oh dear um, well uh, before before you go um i'm gonna play i always play out a podcast on a song and i always let the ah. person on the podcast choose what song we play out on so what song mm. would you like? I, I, I know you're a musician and you have your own bass to choose from, uh, but you can choose someone else's if you want. Oh, I would probably choose someone else's. I would choose... What would I choose? Huh. Oh, my goodness. 
put me on the spot. I think I better choose Anais Mitchell because she's amazing. Um, she wrote a post-apocalyptic modern American folk opera about the Orpheus myth called Hades Town. Bloody hell. And it's just the best thing I've ever heard. Um, and she, it's being staged on New York, uh, in New York, kind of off-Broadway staging right now. But the original recording that she made is incredible. It has Greg Brown as Hades and uh, Ani DeFranco as Persephone. And uh, it's just, it's incredible. So I would choose, I think, um, uh, I would choose the song, uh, the wedding song from uh, Hades Town. It's it's, it's Orpheus and Eurydice singing to each other. Okay, and it's not going to be a complete nightmare. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not going to be a nightmare to find this. (laughs) No, it's on YouTube. Okay, good, good. good. (laughs) Or I could send you a recording. Yeah, No, we're, we're safe. It's on YouTube, we're good. All right. Okay, yeah. well, thank you very much, Marion. I, I know you are like the busiest person I know. So the the fact. Oh, not at all. I'm at home chilling out, having tea, playing Agricola on the iPad. I'm I'm mellow at this time of year. You caught me at my sleepy bear hibernation time. So good, good. I was able to yeah. snag thank you in you, my Aaron. trap. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. It's great to talk to you. Hope I see you again soon. Mother, tell me if you can. When I sing my song, all the rivers sing along, and they're gonna break their banks for me to lay their gold around my feet. All the fashion in the pan, all the fashion for your man. The river's gonna give us a wedding band. Oh, and the sugar from the maple 